this week on a lively experiment. Winter is right around the corner. What is the state doing to expand its base of shelter beds? And a former Rhode Island politician runs for the presidency, but it ends before it really gets off the ground. A lively experiment is generously underwritten by. Hi, I'm John Hazen White Jr. For over 30 years, a lively experiment has provided insight and analysis of the political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm a proud supporter of this great program and Rhode Island PBS. Joining us with their insights, attorney and former Providence mayor, Angel Tavares. Susie Yankee, national committee woman and former chair of the Rhode Island Republican Party. And Boston Globe reporter, Ed Fitzpatrick. And welcome to this week's Lively. I'm Jim Hummel. It is great to have you with us. Columbus Day means that cold weather is right around the corner, and that will be a challenge for people who don't have a place to live. The state has added more shelter beds, but homeless advocates say they are still hundreds short of the need, while construction of affordable housing is still months if not years away. Angel, this seems to be a perennial problem, and I think what we found is money can't fix all the problems. We have more money than we've ever had, but but we're still a ways from solving it. Well, there are two things with this, Jim. I think, that one, it's really good that it's a priority and that we're focusing on it, that we have the funds to do it. But it takes time to build, and it takes time to expand. And we've had more people join, unfortunately, become homeless, and so uh, you have more need. The second part is that the homes aren't enough. You really need services. It really, uh, a lot of the folks are homeless. They have underlying issues that you have to address. And so it's not enough to simply build a uh, home or to put them up in a hotel. It's also about how you deal with those underlying issues to help them um, overcome them. And that's not an easy thing to do. Um, and we see that the, the challenge continues to, to, uh, to exist. And, 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 to and your successor is in a tough place. Any mayor of a city, there's that balance between public safety. And I know Mayor Smiley's gotten a little bit of grief about moving some people out of homeless encampments. But in some cases, you can't have people living in certain places. Look, I, you know, we went through the situation with the uh, Occupy Providence there, and we had to ultimately uh, come to an agreement. We were fortunate to have the Catholic Diocese uh, help us uh, reach an agreement so that we didn't have to use force, but you have to do something. You can't have that for lots of reasons. So it's very easy to criticize. It's not as easy to propose solutions. And uh, Mayor Smiley, I think, is doing the best that he can with a very difficult situation, but you can't have it for health reasons, safety reasons. Um, and so um, there's a lot that you, you have to do, and I think that the governor and the, the city are working as hard as they can uh, with advocates to uh, try to get more beds as quickly as possible. Yeah, when we talk about affordable housing, we all understand that in Rhode Island, nothing is affordable. You know, we saw Senator Sam Bell uh, speak to $4,000 rents in Rhode Island and in Providence. Um, that's just not sustainable. So our policies and procedures that we are putting in place are really not sustainable. But I agree with Angel here when he said it's a multifaceted problem. Um, it's not just about building homes. It's about what are you going to do with services? Because you can place people in homes, but if they have a mental illness, they may try to escape for whatever reason. Um, and the drug abuse, if somebody has an addiction, what are we doing? Doing. Um, right now, what are we doing? We're, we're giving, you know, safe injection sites, but no treatment plan after that. No, uh, we'll give you a place to shoot up drugs, but we're not going to give you the facility to try to get off of your addiction. So it is a multifaceted problem. Um, they're trying to address it. We do have a lot of money. Should it it should be a priority. It gets cold here. I mean, maybe that should be the sign. Welcome to Rhode Island. It's cold here. Um, <laughs> 
because it does get cold. Can we say winter. that you agree with Senator, Senator Bell on one thing? Is that a first now on Lively that no, you agree I actually, with Senator Bell? I, I actually uh, tweeted that might be out the headline. Him, you know that. Um, you know, he's right. It's not affordable. What is affordable? The taxes are high. The cost of living is high. Inflation is out of control. So um, there's, there's going to be a lot more homeless people than what they anticipate is only 562. Um, there'll be more. Sure. Yeah, I thought it was good that the housing secretary, Stephen Pryor, announced that there's going to be 25 percent more beds this year. It was a thousand last year, so maybe about 250 more beds. That's good. But I think we all know that's not going to meet the need. Advocates say it's not going to meet the need. The housing crisis in Rhode Island and elsewhere is severe. And there are still options out there that haven't been pursued, haven't been achieved at least, like the advocates for years have been calling for use of the pallet homes, the, the modular homes that can be erected really quickly, and there's been local opposition. There hasn't been political will to make that happen, and Pryor said he's looking for locations, but that needs to happen. I mean, that's an easy solution that they could do today. Yeah, and, you know, there was a whole uh, package that Speaker McCarthy, uh, McCarthy, we'll get to him in a second, Speaker Sakarji. <laughs> I got, a, I got competing things in my head. Speaker Sakarchi did about it run. You run into a problem with some of the local communities. What Ed said about relaxing some of the things. So I think, look, it's simple supply and demand. If we had a lot more housing available, then the prices potentially could drop or either level off. But isn't that a problem that the, a lot of the cities and towns are like, well, not in my backyard. I don't want some of this built. I mean, that is a perennial problem, not only for that, but for other economic development, for um, for you know jobs. Uh, it, it's a problem all the time. I think that uh, what we have, though, with the, the speaker and Governor McKee and the secretary and the mayors, I think you do have a much more of a focus on this issue because one, I think there's funding, so that kind of solves one part of it. Now you've got the political will um, to do it and you've got to execute on it. Um, I think uh, Ed's idea and talking about the modular homes, um, that could be a very good solution. You've got to find the place for it, but that could be a very good solution to address it during this winter specifically. But when you talk about you know, some communities rejecting some of these developments, it's not just we don't want the developments here. It's we don't have the services to be able to support these people if they come here. Take, it, for example, Foster. I mean, you have land out there, but there's no bus transportation to get there. So if these people are homeless and there's no jobs there for them to get out of the situation, that's also an issue. So is RIPTA going to provide bus services if you place them in certain communities? The, the other thing that stunned me was Crossroads. They had a story in, in today's journal. We're taping on a Thursday. Crossroads said they're trying to privately fundraise the last $15 million for construction costs. Now, I know you can't give it all to Crossroads, but you have three development in the pipeline. Where is all this $250 million? I know probably the state committed some of it, but that stunned me when I said they've got to go out and ask for private funding when we have all this, this federal and state money sloshing around. Yeah, you're right. $250 million was put aside for housing and homelessness. Um, and But when they, the state officials have said that they're going to spread that out. I think they've got, what, 22 projects announced last year. Um, but some of the projects will need to uh, tap some private funding to, to make it happen. So, yeah, it, it, the, the, the bottom line doesn't always add up there. Okay. Uh, Ed, let me stay with you. Uh, familiar name in Rhode Island, but not across the country. <clears throat> Steve Laffey, the uh, former mayor of Cranston who ran for Senate years ago against Sheldon White. That was his um, 
He has now an aborted run for president. You wrote about this, and it's what's interesting to me, Steve Laffey's always been an interesting character. I think you address some of the things that a lot of people don't want to talk about is Social Security and Medicare and the, and the debt. Um, he said not only is he abandoning it, but he's leaving the Republican Party. Yeah, he, he really emphasized that, that he's been a Republican since he was 14. He, he's, he's I would have loved to see to little that. teenage Steve Laffey out there with the uh, cut spending. But he, he called the Republican Party a laughingstock these days, and you know, I think he focused a lot of his ire on on former President Trump, and he was very he was one of the few people to criticize Trump when he mocked uh, the the woman who won that uh, sexual uh, harassment suit against them up at the St. Anselm C CNN town hall, and he he really lashed out on, at him then. I mean, Chris Christie's been critical of Trump too, but you know, was very critical of Trump, and uh, and you know, he announced his uh, that he was leaving the party and dropping out of the race two days after the Globe and and Suffolk University came out with a poll showing Trump so far ahead in in the presidential primary, and uh, Laffey didn't even register, uh, and he he struggled to raise fund, funds there. So I think he also realized he, he didn't stand a chance. What about his, some of his comments about the Republican Party nationally? You, you know, Steve, when he first got into the race, um, you know, he's a smart guy. He's been in politics in Rhode Island, but he has no name recognition nationally. I mean, he moved to Colorado. He attempted to run uh, against uh, Ken Buck, who was the sitting uh, congressman out there. Um, smart guy again. but. In order to run a national race, you need name recognition and you need money. Um, Vivek Ramaswamy, who's running, threw 10 million of his own dollars in there. What that afforded Vivek to do is to put a, a, a team in place, you know, to get communications people, to get policy people, to get your name out there. Um, Steve didn't do that. He didn't reach into his own pocket to, to try to fund his own case and, and really didn't even want to sign a data agreement with the Republicans in order to access the data that we have. So some of the things that he's complaining about are his own fault. Mm. But I, again, I think he's a smart guy. He does point out certain things uh, from a financial standpoint that need to be addressed and we cannot kick down kick the can down the road any longer. Um, he did have an important some important things to say, but I think a lot of it is sour grapes. Mm. Well, I, I actually think you pointed out good uh, points about the Republican Party and about uh, former President Trump. The Republican Party now is barely recognizable. You, you know, they used to be uh, against Russia, but uh, many of them don't uh, support uh, Ukraine. Uh, they used to be for law enforcement, yet you hear them talking about wanting to defund uh, the FBI. Um, I think that history is going to record this moment as a very a unique moment in our history and not in a good way. And so I think that he's right when he talks about the Republican Party um, and when he talks about President Trump. And I give him credit for um, speaking out against President Trump because there are so many Republicans who I think actually know better, but they're afraid to speak out against them. Yeah. So. And I, it, we, you were t we were talking in the green room beforehand. Laffey's talking about stuff that really is going to come home to roost for our kids and grandkids. All of the, the, the spending, whoever you want to blame to get into it, that we're not bringing things under control. But that really doesn't resonate with a lot of people because that's tomorrow's problem, right? It's what we've been talking about with pensions in Rhode Island for years. Yeah, right? he raised the, a lot of, of the financial issues, Social Security and, and uh, that being sustainable for the future. But he, he never made it to the debate stage, so, and, he, and he wasn't going to. So that he wasn't going to get a chance to discuss that at all.
While we're talking nationally, Sue, um, we're, again, we're taping on a Thursday. Um, they're having a hard time picking a, a House speaker, and that kind of puts the, the country, not only the Republicans, in, in a tough spot. So I wonder, as you look from your, uh, your national committee woman, but you've been a former chairwoman, you've been a Republican your whole life, what do you think about what's going on in Washington now and the direction that the, the, the House is going in? Chaos. Chaos. Unnecessarily chaos. Um, you know, uh, just the Speaker of McCarthy's um, election. That was chaotic. Um, and now they've thrown it into chaos again. Um, I don't want to hear any of the Democrats complaining about that because they had a chance to support Kevin McCarthy, who was trying to work in a bipartisan fashion to try to get things done. Um, Nancy Pelosi has been rumored to say that's never going to happen. They're not going to take away your speakership because I care about the institution. Well, she didn't. Um, they could have jumped. Some of the Democrats could have jumped and saved McCarthy, but they didn't. But now it's just chaos. Um, the two leading candidates are Steve Scalise and uh, Representative Jim Jordan. It looks like it may be Steve Scalise. You know, I worry about... Um, you know, them not getting behind one person because we really need... Because if they had the support, he probably would have been voted in already, right? They got to delay the vote while they count the heads. Yeah, they got to count the heads. They got to count the votes. So I, I imagine it's going to end up being Steve Scalise at this point. Yeah, it's it's just not good nationally for us, though. And it, it, I think it makes us look weak overseas. People are like, what's this great democracy you have and you can't even elect a leader? Well, I, I think it makes us, um, doesn't make us look good overseas or here as well. I mean, this is a time where we need um, really um, to come together. And, uh, and I think that you've seen with the Republicans, uh, I actually agree with Sue. She's agreed with Sam Bell, and now I'm agreeing with her. <laughs> it's a big um, show. And I'll say uh, that, that is chaotic, but I also think a lot of that is caused not by Democrats, but by the Republicans themselves. So, But a small, I mean, you have the, you have the eight, small. right? The gang of eight, maybe the right. other gang of eight, right? Right. It's a small group of people that, um, you know, have very uh, strict ideas. They just seem them. to want to blow it up. Well, just strict ideas of, of trying to control what, what happens in, I guess, the swamp. You call the swamp D.C. You know, what happens. You know, I always view politics as it's, it's a game of compromise. So there's going to be a right side, a left side, and you have to come together and, and, and work together. Um, this group doesn't believe that, I think. I think that they just believe that this is the way it should be done. And you really have to work together with people to, to accomplish anything. And for this all to be happening, given all that's happening in the world right now, it's, it's, you know, it's never a good time, I think, not to have a, a House speaker, but with, you know, with Hamas and Israel, with uh, the Ukraine and Russia, there's, there's a lot to pay attention to right now. And don't forget China and, and Taiwan. And China and Taiwan. That's, that's the trifecta. So we've really got to come together as a country and figure out what we're doing. Because, you know, if anybody was watching the news, you saw the leader of Hamas come out and say, you know, the 13th. Let's let's go strike America. Exactly. So, you know, we have to be careful about what's going on in the country. Let's stay with you, Sue. The um, CD1 race has been very quiet. Gary Leonard, the Republican nominee, and Gabe Amo, they're eventually going to do two debates. Uh, Gary Leonard wanted a lot more. I understand why Gabe Amo is not that much. I would think maybe five or six would have served. Talk about your candidate. A lot of people don't know him yet and actually aren't going to get to know him on a statewide level because 
Mr. Ramos refusing to do more debates. Right, and that's unfortunate. I think that the constituents lose out when you don't have debates. Um, I know that uh, Gabe Amo participated in several during the Democratic primary, but there were so many candidates on the Democratic side that you really don't get an opportunity to really stand out in a way because you get two minutes, it's quick. Um, when you have one-on-one, -on -one, when it's the Republican against the Democrat, you, it, certainly you can delve more into the issues, you can understand where they stand. And and we saw Gabe Ammo up with one member of the squad. He was up with Anna Presley, you know, talking about um, getting money from her constituency, and she supports Hamas. Um, you know, so it, it's really important for um, the voters in CD1 to understand who they're voting for. Uh, Gary Leonard is certainly a 30-year career military guy. He has a lot of experience in leadership. He understands foreign policy. And at a time when the world is falling apart, he certainly is a, a superior candidate. Well, we geek out on all of the, the policy stuff and we listen to the debates, but I think it rings hollow for Gabe Amo to say, people know where I stand. People didn't know who you were five months ago. So this right. whole, I debated who was paying attention in August to primary debates other than us. Yeah, I, I loved all those primaries. I mean, uh, maybe that's uh, uh, just me, but you know, I thought all these different groups were able to bring in candidates and ask them about the issues they cared about. And you got to hear them think on their feet. You got to see where they stood on all these different issues during the primary. And there's not so many now in the in general election. I, I wish there were more. Uh, there's gonna be two televised debates later on. Uh, we're gonna have uh, Amo and Leonard on the Rhode Island Report podcast next week and ask but them separately. about separately and ask them about the ask the same questions to each of them. So it'll show the differences, I think, uh, on the important issues. Um, but yeah, I think the, the more voters know going into the, the ballot, uh, on, uh, going into Election Day, the, the better off we are. I understand why he's doing this politically, but what's he worried about in this race, right? Yeah, it's, you know, <laughs> Reality is, it's a D plus 29 district. Um, I used to call it the Cicilline Protection District. It was so gerrymandered, heavily favored Democratic, um, as opposed to CD2, which is a split district. Um, so what's he worried about? Come out and, and tell the people who you are. Well, he, he is debating twice, so that's the first thing. He is debating twice on television, and he's also going on, and uh, Ed just told you as well, um, he's out there. Um, so he is actually going on television, giving people a chance to see him. It will be one-on-one, -on -one, and it will be a lot longer, so to speak, in terms of opportunity to speak um, to the public than, than the debates in the primary where you had so many people. So but if you were the people, candidate, you've run for CD. You ran for CD, too? Yeah, yeah. But many I mean, years ago. Yeah, Wouldn't you do more debates? You do as many debates as, as you can. But in Gabe's situation, he's done a lot of debates in the primary. He's now going to do several TV debates. Um, you know, which is Im important as well. And I think that uh, people will make a, a, a decision based on that. Politically, he's much better known, or is it like, she, like uh, Sue said, it's a D plus 29 district, if that's the, the number she used. Um, so obviously um, he is trying to give the public uh, an opportunity to see him both, uh, but also not necessarily give the, his opponent uh, extra publicity because most people don't know who his opponent is. 
Yeah, and most people don't know who Gabe Amo is either. Let's face it, when the number of people that were running in the Democratic primary, you know, we all probably thought it was going to be Sabina Matos or Aaron Ruggenberg because they had name recognition. He kind of was a sleeper behind there. You know, people may not understand that he's been working for the Biden administration, so the policies and procedures that are in place now that people are complaining about, he owns those. He is a yes vote for the Democrats. They didn't really, I think the DNC didn't really like um, Aaron Mergenberg. Sabina killed herself with the signature fiasco with the Board of Elections. Um, so Aaron was the one to beat then. I think the DNC came behind him. He has heavy money from the pharmaceutical industry and from Wall Street. That's who they're voting for if they vote for Gabe Atmel. It is a very blue district, 46% Democratic, 42% independent, unaffiliated, and just 12% Republican. So, yeah, Amos stands a very good chance. Of and you also, um, a year ago, you were talking about elections workers leaving. There's a, there's a, um, uh, the, the news peg on this is Bob Raposo, the longtime uh, elections board head. He's announced he's retiring in 2024. And elections have come under attack. I think in Rhode Island we do a pretty good job, but there's, qu there's questions nationwide. This is a critical time to pick somebody who's going to be, he's the administrator, he's not the board of elections. Yeah. But what should they be looking for when they go out to hire somebody? Yeah, now? the context, I wrote about how a quarter of the top election officials in Rhode Island had left since 2020. You know, they've been facing a lot of criticism with President Trump saying, you know, the elections were rigged and everything like that. And they faced a lot of questions at the local board of canvassers, a lot of pressures that uh, hadn't been to that degree in the past. So, um, you know, I think that the next election administrator is going to be, have to be someone who has to uh, build that trust with the electorate, be able to communicate about it, uh, know about cybersecurity, uh, perhaps be bilingual. Uh, and deal with all the different ways that voting has taken place now with mail ballots and early voting. Uh, you know, I think Bob Raposa was, you know, uh, really uh, did some good work coming in after the, the prior administrator uh, and, and having the elections run smoothly. But, you know, looking forward, I, th I think you need someone who's going to be able to deal with all those, uh, the new dynamics in elections. What do you think, Angel? Well, I think that um, I appeared before the election board for over 20 years. And I want people to know out there that uh, the progress that's been made over the last 20 years is tremendous in terms of the work of the election board, uh, the Board of Elections, um, uh, the Secretary of State, uh, local uh, election officials. Um, elections aren't perfect. Um, that certainly that's, that's the case. They're not perfect, but we run very good elections here in Rhode Island. We also have post-election audits, which allow us to really make sure um, that the uh, ballots cast, or the, 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 the uh, ballots were read the right way. So I think the next uh, person is going to be someone who um, can address all of the challenges that we have. And some of that um, is a, about the national conversation on elections, because there's some people who refuse to accept election results, even though they've had 60 plus cases in the courts about it. Um, and I think that the next person needs to understand how important it is um, to gain the confidence, uh, understand uh, how important it is that we have paper ballots and uh, making sure that we continue with our audits, making sure that um, we hold our uh, vendors accountable when, uh, when appropriate. Um, and I say that because I know what we went through with some of the issues uh, regarding some of the programming of the machines. Um, so it's going to be someone who can really understand elections, can um, uh, engender confidence, uh, can also speak to the public about it. 
and I want to say in terms of Mr. Raposa, who I've known for a long time, I think Bob, and I didn't agree with everything, but I think Bob did a very good job and has been uh, really a public servant for well over 20 years. Yeah, and I think that the interesting thing, the BOE does a very good job of inviting the public in to watch the process. You know, when you talk about the audit that they did after the presidential election, you can actually go in and witness that. You so, can sit with John Marion. Yeah, it, it, and the funny <laughs> and thing watch. is, there were two people there, me you and, and John, John Marion. You were John Marion, there you go. Um, you know, so I say to people, um, that's not enough. If you want to criticize the process, you have to participate in the process. You know, we do a job of trying to recruit um, poll watchers, you know, that you can come in and watch the process. Well, in 2020, we had 40, 60 people that came in. In 2022, we had 460. So every precinct, there were people watching the process. And the more people that get involved in the process, the more confidence you're going to have in the process that you can see what happens. You know, for from my perspective, maybe the biggest thing about uh, the elections is let's make sure we have clean voter rolls. When you have clean voter rolls, you're not going to have dead people signing because they're not going to be on your voter rolls any longer. Um, it would eliminate a lot of the issues that people complain about. So start with clean voter rolls and then move on. Yeah, well, let's be clear about something, uh, and that is there's no evidence of dead people voting uh, here in Rhode Island. And even in, I think, Atlanta, I think there was, uh, or in Georgia, maybe like two. And sometimes people can vote before they die because they have early voting and other things. And state um, law is a little unclear about whether you count that or not. Right. So, so that's the other thing. But I think that Sue actually touched on something very important. In Rhode Island, and I think other places, but I'll talk about Rhode Island, you have a right, and Sue as the head of the Republican Party, um, former. Uh, former head of the Republican Party. <laughs> not uh, charging. <laughs> but they they can have poll watchers in, at the polls under state law that has a right to be there throughout the process can actually challenge voters who go and vote and if they think that they're not the person that they say that they are. So you actually have people there. Campaigns can have people there as well, right? Candidates can as well. So there's a lot going on there. Um, we have signatures that we compare. We have signatures on ballot applications, signatures on the mail ballots. There's so many different checks and balances and that's why I think we have very good elections here in the state. And and that's why it's also very hard uh, for someone to violate the law. Okay, let's uh, move on to uh, outrageous Andrew Kudos. Ed, what do you have this week? Uh, my outrage is uh, the uh, bomb scare, the, the threats that were made against Temple Bethel uh, just a couple days ago, you know, watching what's going on over in Israel and Hamas's attack. But it's, you know, we've got that, we've got hatred here in Rhode Island. Uh, there's been a Pawtucket resident arrested, but it's, you know, the context is I just interviewed uh, um, the head of the Jewish Alliance of Greater Rhode Island, he talked about a 250% increase in anti-Semitic threats in Rhode Island mm. over the past year. So, you know, th that to me is outrageous. Angel, what do you have this week? Um, my outrage is related, and that is the uh, vicious uh, murder of Jews by Hamas. Um, it's, to me, just simply outrageous um, what's happened. And I've read that it was the worst um, day uh, in terms of deaths of, of Jews since the Holocaust, right? And um, that, to me, is something that we need to not forget. We need to focus on and remind ourselves we know what happened um, during the Holocaust, and we know how important it is that we be vigilant. Uh, it has been just outrageous what has happened. And every time I hear details, they just get worse. Well, and we're all parents, and you just think of what's going on. Horrific. So, yeah. it, right. I think we all agree with the outrage this week as to what happened at a peace festival that you saw people come in and 
just ceremoniously murder people and go into families' homes and kill parents in front of their children and then kill children in front of their parents. It is absolutely horrific. I want to add one thing. She talked about going into homes, something I didn't realize, but I keep hearing about. They have safe rooms. A lot of these homes have safe rooms. Think about that. We For don't this have that. exact thing. I mean, and I just thought about that. And I'm, I haven't visited Israel, so I didn't know this. But, I mean, you start hearing over and over. I've heard that uh, where some of the safe rooms worked and some, unfortunately, didn't, uh, but that they were in safe rooms. That's how they construct their homes there because of that fear. Um, and so it's just really outrageous that anyone has to go through this. And just to bring it back to Rhode Island, you know, if you go to a synagogue or uh, the Jewish Community Center, you'll see security there to, to you know, and it, it's, it's an unfortunate reality. It's sad. Folks, thank you. That is all the time we have. Sorry we have to end on such a somber note. Ed and Sue and Angel, always good to see you. Folks, if you don't catch us Friday at 7 or Sunday at noon, we are all over social media. We archive all of our shows at ripbs.org slash lively. We're on Facebook and Twitter. And apparently we have a pretty popular podcast. So if you uh, are out and about and you just want to listen to my mellifluous voice from week to week, take us with you. Folks, we'll be all over what happens over the course of the next week. Maybe we'll have a new house speaker, maybe not, but we'll be here to analyze it. We hope you have a great week and come back next week as a lively experiment continues. A Lively Experiment is generously underwritten by... Hi, I'm John Hazen White, Jr. For over 30 years, A Lively Experiment has provided insight and analysis of the political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm a proud supporter of this great program and Rhode Island PBS.